Support for this program from the Giddens Foundation. Welcome to this Crosscut Media program. Too many kids are neglected or abused in broken families, yet no one sets out to be a bad parent. All the latest science proves that kids thrive in a strong, safe, and supportive family. If our society truly wants to close the opportunity gap, have students ready to learn, and graduate citizens who have the skills to help society prosper, the efforts have to begin even before birth. Here now, a conversation about the work being done to teach better parenting, heal broken families, open fair paths to opportunity. Lily Lengua is professor of psychology and the director of University of Washington's Center for Child and Family Well-Being. Her research focuses on parenting. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Michelle Sarju is director of programs at Open Arms Perinatal Services, providing pregnancy, birth, and postpartum support for about 300 Puget Sound area women each year. The nonprofit has been offering this community-based support since 1997. Thank you. Thank you. And Marcy Miller is the Director of Home Visiting for Thrive by Five Washington, the state's primary private partner in creating a statewide early learning system. They provide about 2,000 home visits each year through federal, state, local, and private funding with uh, support and partnership from the Department of Early Learning. Thank you for being here. Thank you. So can we start with what a home visit is and what it looks like? Um, you've done home visits. You you train home visitors, Michelle. T- tell me what you tell home visitors, uh, the folks who are providing these home visits. What do you tell them? Well, our our home visitors are very well trained. Um, doing home visits has many different components. Um, so, for example, you know, safety is always an issue when you're going into someone's house that you don't know, but we've never had a, a situation, but we do train them in, you know, how to be safe when you're going to a home visit. Um, the other one of the other things is to just notice what's going on for the family um, when parents are stressed or they're worried about something um, what your agenda is that day may not be the agenda that needs to be covered um, in my 20 years as a, a maternal child health professional parents at all levels um, struggle with this thing we call parenting um, we're handed these children with no manual um, and none of us, you know, have the 911 scoop on how to be the best parent. So really what we try to do with our home visitors is just give them information around how to best support parents in doing what will ultimately be, ultimately be the most important job in their lives. Who are the home visitors? Um, in our case, um, at Open Arms Perinatal Services, um, in our home visiting program, the women that are our home visitors are of and from the communities that they serve. So we have a model of community-based support. Um, it's a particularly strong and effective model in that when you have a home visitor who is from your community or from the same cultural background or speaks the same language, you already have a common place to start. So um, from our perspective, it's important that um, our home visitors, you know, be able to relate on a social and emotional and cultural level um, with the women that they're working with. And, and Marcy Miller, when you are doing a home visit, what, um, you know, what's the first that you walk in the door? What's the first thing you try to assess and get a sense of? I think the critical thing in all 
all home visiting because there's different models or different programs of home visiting, but the common thread among all of them is really building a relationship with the family. You have to sit with the family, listen to the family, and understand where the family's coming from. Um, building upon their strengths, building upon what they, um, and being a true partner and listener with that family is really critical. So walking into the family, you really have to um, be an observer a listener, and a partner. So a partner means that if you come in and you can tell the mother's stress, the, the, the baby's crying, you have to be non-judgmental and you have to have tools. Exactly. So our home visitors um, across the state and all models are trained in various different programs. Each program has a different flair. Um, some may be nurses that are providing the services. Some may be um, background of an uh, early childhood education, and all are amazing. What needs to happen is that um, each come with tools, and they come in and, and really, like you said, really are ju- not non-judgmental, assessing the situation, and working with the parent and listening. So we know that there's a lot of science behind this mm-hmm. that that says pa- babies in in the womb, mothers getting ready to give birth, and and parents when they have those children we know that affects the baby's development are there um are there are there examples that you can come up with that sort of reveal the the concrete aspect of that study like when binding bonding happens when a baby's brain starts to connect or isn't connecting with a parent in the right way i can say um one of the most powerful stories i had as a home visitor that i i feel illustrates the the work in essence is that I worked with a family for over two years, and sometimes the process is slow. You don't see movement and change right away. I'm not going to come in your home and tell you what to do because that's not going to work. And um, so you, you you sit with the family, and this family was difficult um, for me initially. I wasn't really sure where they were um, it took me some time to build a relationship with this family. There was a, a grandma in the family that was very... Um, important in the family, but she um, and the mom didn't see eye to eye. They had an infant and a um, toddler in the house. And working with them, we started to develop a relationship. But it came to find out that they, um, this family was experiencing domestic violence. So that was really um, clear to me that there were some challenges. We worked on that. We worked on getting safety plans. We worked over the two years of, around integrating reading books in the family, talking about um, the importance of um, what the child was learning, and I learned a lot from the mom. But I never really felt like, I, after two years, I walked away from that family and never really felt like I had made a difference. So, Or not made a difference, but I wasn't really sure what the family had gained from that. One day I was at swimming lessons with my own two, ch- ch- or my own two kids, and the mom um, came up to me and shared, um, I saw her, I was a little surprised, and her kids were in the, the class. Um, she had shared with me that she had gotten a job. She had... Um, her children were thriving in school. They were laughing and playing along signed by kids. And she said to me, you showed up for me every single week. You believed in me and you made a difference. And I really think that's um, what, that, that encapsulates for me, like what's really happening in the home. I showed up for her and listened. How long do you uh, serve clients? How long does Thrive by Five work with people? Um, Thrive, tip, Thrive by Five actually is a, yeah, and we, we provide dollars for other agencies right. to support that work. But each agency, depending on the model, usually around two years. Yeah. 
ideally, to see the outcomes that are intended. You guys as well. Yeah, we have a, a two-year home visiting program um, that actually starts with women when they're pregnant. Um, we believe that that is a very important time to actually begin um, building the foundation of what's to come later for, for parents. Um, and having a healthy pregnancy is critical to both the mom and the child's overall health in life. Um, if you have a baby that's born way too soon, um, the effects of prematurity can actually affect that child for the entire lifespan. Um, so we believe it's important to begin in pregnancy with parents. And so we have a, a curriculum that is structured around the things that are important in pregnancy, the things that are important um, in the first year of life, as well as the things that are important in the second year of life. And then building, building that strong foundation is actually what sets um, the child up for future successful learning. Lulu um, Angwa, in, in, in looking at these programs, the state and the federal government is going to start saying they want to know what works and what doesn't work. There are assessments being done. What, what kind of tools are being used to, to help assess these, these, these home visits? All the programs are collecting data, and they have a lot of data within each each um, program. Um, they're collecting data on um, breastfeeding rates. They're collecting data um, on how many um, screening tools or, or the number of times that um, families are engaging in um, the, sorry, um, emergency room visits. They're thinking about um, doing screening tools to assess, is a child developing at the right rate, uh, at the rate of the, as intended? Some of the programs are looking at um, attachment. Mm -hmm. And all this data is sitting really um, in each program. And what the, as we're looking at this, one of the great things that we're doing as we're building a system is thinking about how can we roll this data up into a larger context to tell the story of home visiting across the state of Washington and really get to that point. And we're, we're, um, that's where you're at now. We're, we're really working hard to get to that yeah. place, but all these programs are collecting really strong data. They are, um, and all these programs have evidence, um, behind them. So there's evidence-based, research-based, but all of these programs are, have been shown to work. And we, what we are doing is putting, um, placing these programs in communities with strong um, agencies that we know can do this work well and looking at um, how does it work in their community and what adaptations need to be made in order to um, do this well in, this, in the particular community because each community looks different. Do you want to add to that, Michelle? Well, um, I don't know if it was said earlier, but Open Arms Perinatal Services um, does receive a grant from Thrive by Five of Washington. And so um, they have given us a grant to implement our home visiting model, which is using community-based um, community health worker type providers um, to provide these services um, that are in the context of early learning. And early learning traditionally has been, when we say that, we traditionally think of, and you can, you know, look at the, the summit on White House, the White House summit and um, uh, a lot of the work that's been done over the last couple of years, but it generally starts at three. And what we all know is that you can't ignore children for three years and think you're going to make up um, for the things that that child didn't get. 
Um, and so um, what is impressive to me about Thrive by Five is that they get that we need to be starting from the very beginning. Um, and so that's what we do um, in our model is um, start from pregnancy um, because moms are really open and want, I mean, moms want to be the very best mother that they can be. If you look at any articles that talk about motherhood, there isn't a single person um, that doesn't have that desire um, yeah. for themselves and for other mothers um, and, and wanting their children just to grow up um, smart and healthy, which all children are really born with that possibility. You know, um, she used the phrase attachment, right? And that's a, that's a specific notion, attachment. Um, uh, Lily Lingua, what, what happens, just to, just to back up a bit, what happens with children or families where weak bonds are not created, where mm -hmm. the attachment does not occur? Well, we think of it not just about attachment, but a, more of a all through childhood there are consequences. So when we think of a family that's struggling, um, often there are other stressors in their lives and other adversities and disadvantage that do make it hard to be um, a strong and effective parent or family. And so when children are growing up in these families that are struggling like that, um, they themselves m may have struggles with attachment. They may not um, have a, a relationship with an adult or with a parent that they know their needs are going to be met and that they feel safe and secure. Um, and even beyond that, we see kids developing behavior problems, um, emotional problems. Um, they're more likely to have oppositional behaviors, aggression, um, maybe more depression and anxiety. But what's more important about that is that they bring those to the other settings and relationships that they're in. So it's not just that they're struggling at home, but then they're carrying those problems into their classroom, into their relationship with their teacher and peers and other adults in their lives. Um, so that more of their experiences become negative and punitive and um, peer relationships struggle. And, um, you know, then it just sets children on this um, potential for a track. Not all kids who do this experience this, but it sets them um, on a track that they're more likely to affiliate with peers or ha who are having problems or emotional struggles. Um, they're more likely to be um, exposed to substance use or alcohol problems or delinquency. And, and we see these problems all the way into adulthood in relationships and depression. So it's really so critical to think about this lifespan development. It's not just what impact it's having on the kids themselves, but their rest of their lives. Yeah. I mean, you, you brought it up now, so let's, let's talk about it now. And, and I've talked to Governor Gregoire about this issue and why it was important to her. And we spend and are about to spend a lot of money, more money on education. The whole point of that being uh, we want to close the achievement gap or the opportunity gap. We want to have children ready to go. Um, if we don't spend the money up front, are we just throwing good money after bad? Are we just are we are we going to always be playing catch up with kids who are struggling? I think that the cost of the consequences for the even if it's just a small number of kids who end up with the most adverse consequences, those costs are much higher than any cost we spend up front in a preventative or supportive fashion. And and aside from the financial cost, then if we think about then the emotional, psychological cost of those individuals who didn't get that support up front, I think every, you know, economic evaluation of prevention mm -hmm. supports the idea that, um, what is the old adage, a penny yeah. spent on prevention is worth it. It's true that about a dollar spent on prevention is worth about $7 down the line in, um, 
and spending on other consequences. Well, when you hear that they're going to spend a billion dollars uh, or even more to deal with the McCleary decision in education, what goes through your head, Marcy? I mean, because the money's going to come from somewhere or not be spent somewhere, right? I mean, I think they're both important. We need to be spending money in the schools to create a system that is supportive to families and children. And I think we need to start earlier as well. I think that um, families are the most important and most influential people in a child's lives. And they need to be set up in order to go to and be able to transition into a system that's going to support um, strong families and strong children. Do you hear that from the people you go and talk to in state government that, yes, we're going to do both? Do you hear that? I think there's a lot of conversation happening and I think people are seeing the importance. I think it's obviously difficult to, um, money becomes a difficult conversation. It becomes very political, but I, I do believe that in order for us to move the conversation forward in a, or move the system forward in a way to get the best outcomes, we have to invest in both. I think an example of that, Marcy, is the early start bill, which um, it didn't it didn't get to the floor for a vote, but there was bipartisan support for that bill. And I think at some point in time, it's going to come up again and we're going to see we're going to begin to see some some dollars um, heading towards the the younger years. Legislators are understanding the issue. Yes, I would say that they are. Yes, absolutely. You know, you know, in terms of families, when we have a strong family, when you have that uh, a, a cohesive unit, the strengthening unit, what what happens? What happens to those children, even if they're not from the most stable of, of families, even if they're not, even if they're from families which had trouble, like like Marcy was talking about, what happens as the family heals or repairs to those kids? Well, when I think about what defines a strong family, um, we can look at all our own families and know that there are strengths and weaknesses in every family. So when our strengths and the positive things in our family outnumber, outweigh, um, outrank the negatives, then we can um, we know that there's um, children can be protected. There can, there's a buffering effect, um, and if a family has struggled and um, and children have been exposed to um, either conflict or violence or um, abuse or even more minor things like negativity and criticism, we know that it can be undone. We know that parenting interventions at any age, but ideally the parents are and parenting are addressed early. Um, But at any age, we see improvements in children's outcomes when parents show more warmth and consistency and responsiveness. Um, And, um, and we also know from other research that children who are, you know, either adopted from very adverse circumstances or placed in foster care in families where the families have been supported in being warm and responsive and, and consistent, that we actually see not only differences in children's behaviors, but in their um, neurobiological stress responses in their brain activity that makes them appear more similar to children who were raised in regular community families. So we know that we can change not only their behavior, but their physiology and their biology as well. And yet, yet we have seen the state um, try to reduce placing kids in foster care, try, trying to keep kids with their biological family units. Um, it does, is there something intrinsically stronger about the connection with a, with a biological 
parent or an aunt or an uncle? I'm not sure the question is a stronger connection. I think it's the issue of earlier is better. If we can catch these children prenatally, early postnatal period, really supporting the parents, the parents in their context and all the stress and adversity that they're experiencing Mm -hmm. um, and recognizing that that what would be ideal for that child would be that that parent never ends up getting to a place where they're abusive, neglectful, critical, harming the child. And I don't, I think, you know, I think uh, Michelle said that Parents don't set out to be that way, but the circumstances in their life often make that happen. So I don't know that it's an issue of biological is better. It's just more ideal that the child have that experience right from the beginning. But we do know that you can have strong and healing families that aren't necessarily the biological family if it's as a if it's as a resort after everything else has been tried, then we know that children can really benefit from being placed in safe, stable, nurturing, warm, loving relationships, um, even if it's not their biological families. Michelle, on that, on that note about um, parents, I guess really for all three of you, I'd, I'd like you to think about this. What, when you talk to parents or when you talk to the folks who are talking to the parents, what, 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 what do parents most, um, what are the, I don't want to say the worst things, where are the parents falling short that it's easy to communicate, here's a step to take, here's a, a notion to think about. Um, I want to go back to something Lily said. Um, Well, it's not something she said, but it was implied in um, her previous comments. And, you know, what we're talking about here are low-income families, and we're talking about the poorest families. Because these are the ones that are served by these? Yes, yes. Because everybody, every family has... Has, yeah, every. I mean, she said it. Every yeah. we, you know, we all have our strengths and weaknesses, um, but it is not a secret the effects of poverty. It's there's a lot of stress when you have food insecurity, when you have housing instability, when you have all of these things going on. It's very difficult to be a parent. I mean, it's very difficult to be an effective parent um, because you're busy worrying about: Am I going to get my kids three meals today? Um, Am I going to get evicted? Are my lights going to be turned off? Mm-hmm. Are my heat is my heat going to be turned off? And so, um, what programs um, like the home visiting programs in Washington State do is they help to mitigate these circumstances for these families who don't want to necessarily be in this position but are. Um, and I think that's where um, I think that is a very high value on home visiting programs is they have individuals as providers helping to mitigate some of these circumstances. So making sure the lights stay on, making sure they don't get evicted, making sure that if they don't have food, then what food bank can we go to to get you food for this week so that you're not hungry and your children aren't hungry? So the home visit isn't really just about uh, hold your child this way, nurture your child that way. It's about mitigating basic social problems it's about whatever needs to happen in the moment and i what i'm saying is that um i have yet to meet a parent who doesn't want to be attached to their children um but i have met parents who wake up every single morning wondering where they're gonna how they're gonna get food and so for our home visitors when they go into the room they take an assessment is this family doing well today If the family is doing well today, we can talk about infant brain development. We can talk about the next doctor's appointment. Um, You know, we can talk about the upcoming developmental assessment. But if the home visitor shows up 
and the client says, I'm about to get my lights turned off, then that's what becomes the priority. Because the parent can't receive the information about, you know, healthy brain development if their lights and heat are getting ready to be turned off. You're going to add to that. I really, I really feel like home visiting is an opportunity to think about wraparound services for most families. Well, it sounds like it. That you can really go in and, it, again, meeting a parent where they're at. Some parents are going to need a lighter touch, but Michelle is absolutely right. We are targeting the most, um, the families furthest um, from the opportunity gap How, or most vulnerable families. Some of the families, um, we target a lot of ch- um, moms that are, young first-time moms that are, um, you know, you may go into a situation where they're very isolated, where they may not have support from their families, where they are struggling to figure out, are they going to go back to school? How are they going to raise the baby? Um, Could be um, drug involvement or chemical dependency involvement. And all those parents want to get out of that situation and want to do the best thing. And it's really, how do you support that? Or you could have a, a family that really just needs the the basic support and understanding of how to to maneuver through the school system, how to maneuver, um, how how to engage with their child to develop the brain, and so I think there's all different means, and every parent is different, like Michelle stated earlier. You know, this was on the Thrive by Five web page. Um, the urgency. Right. We know that early experiences matter, yet not every child gets a great start in life. I was thinking about this one when you were talking. As early as nine months old, children in poverty begin to show signs of slipping behind in their development. And then exposure to toxic stress, the first few years of a child's life can lead to permanent changes. That's what, that's what you were talking about as well, Lily Lingua. So when we, when we know that this is, this, is, this is a program that's really at the basis dealing with uh, inequality and inequity, um, how big does a program like this need to be? I mean, it could be huge, right? How many, how many, what did we say? What did you tell me? You said uh, 2,000 families a year? I think what's... Sounds like a drop in the bucket. I think it is a drop in the bucket. And I think um, the more families that can be served, clearly the better. I think um, in an ideal world, we'd be thinking about these systems that Marcy and Michelle are describing, that these families are in, they're struggling with insecurity of every kind, food, housing, um, maybe mental health and substance use issues, um, maybe histories of trauma themselves. And the thought, the thought that a home visitor who can visit this family once a week for a couple of years can make a dent in all of that. They're there to support them, and it does make a difference. But wouldn't it be better if these families were assessed from the beginning and um, the level of their need um, assessed and addressed so that the home visitors are coming in to be really just incredibly supportive around the parenting and loving and nurturing of their baby and, and all those other things are addressed otherwise. So we think about families like the one-stop shop, the no wrong door kind of model where they can get all those services and support mm-hmm. in a more mm-hmm. facile way along with that um, parenting support that is already coming with these home visiting programs. So I'd love to see home visiting continue, but in a context where all these other more complex social and contextual needs are addressed well, as well. And I, and I think that it is really about the systems building. We're investing in um, 2,000 kids, and you're right, that is a drop in the bucket. But when the really, the, the strong investment needs to be in quality um, and strong systems in order to support the entire family. And we, um, 
there are ne- there needs to be um, dedicated resources towards that for sure. And um, I think that we're really trying to think about that and breaking down silos between different agencies and how do we work together. Um, not everybody would benefit from home visiting. One of the key things that I don't think has been mentioned is a voluntary program. Mm-hmm. If I say, I, I can't force you to be in a relationship with me and benefit from that. So it's a not every single family would benefit from home visiting. And there could be other other things to support the family, other other resources as Lily was um, speaking of, but I, I really do think that um, it is a strategy among many to support families in a comprehensive way. And an example of that is, for example, play and learn groups, um, which um, is showing some really exciting, exciting outcomes for families. And play and learn, the concept of play and learn is that um, parents with um, children of any age can drop into this play and learn group that is around um, building the parent's competency and capacity to parent their child. What does that mean? Building their comp, just real quick, what's, what's an example of that? Well, an example would be, um, so let's say a parent decides, they hear about this play and learn group and they say they want to go for the first time. Um, one of the activities um, that happens in play and learn groups is demonstrating to parents how easy it is to get down on the floor and play with their children and how that is um how that is that is infant brain development it's not buying you know einstein baby or all these other products but getting down on the floor spending 15 minutes um with your child doing a building block activity um is actually more important than sitting and sitting them in front of some screen that plays this you know music and has all these shapes and so for parents who aren't involved in home visiting programs this is yet another community resource where they can go and learn from other parents in the room or learn from the activities that are happening in the group. And I think another important key to that is just um, meeting other parents that can be supportive for them. Well, I, I do hear you saying that, that though there is this need and there are systems, there are simple things that parents, maybe these stressed parents, need to hear. Just that's just as simple as that. Like, you know, you don't have the money for Einstein's baby, but you're doing a good job. And here are some here are some real typical things that maybe you're not doing and you could do. I mean, is that part of the function of of early learning? Is that part of the function of of the home visits? Well, I would say I I want to be really clear in saying my home visitors never tell parents. here's something you're not doing and that you could do. You never do um, that? No, we never do that because that's not a strengths-based approach. What is it? So give me no, a... A strengths-based approach would be to um, ask the parent, well, have you thought about um, have you thought about sitting down and playing for 15 minutes a day? And they, or, say, and they say, I don't have the time. Well, if they say they don't have, have the time, then you continue to have the conversation around, well, do you have five minutes? Do you have 10 minutes? Um, you know, parents do have. Well, you the are time. trying to guide them then. I understand yes, that. yes, there I is there is guidance. Notion here, but yes. this is, there is guidance here. Yeah, there is guidance. But I mean, you're what we're shaking your finger no, at them, but you no, are no. these are these are guidance based ideas. That's that's correct, and and also to be mindful of what's culturally relevant for one community is not necessarily for another community. That must be critical. So it is critical, and so being able to. Um, to work with parents, um, as Lily said, in the context that that, that they are in. Um, so, you know, in our program, parents by the end of the two years are really excited about the things that they've learned. And all of them 
are sitting down and playing with their kids for some amount of time a day because that is actually part of the home visiting program is to we do a videotape reflection where the parent is playing with the child for 15 minutes and we tape it and the next week the home visitor goes back and reviews that videotape with the parent and points out all the wonderful things that the parent is doing and then also asks, well your child seems to be struggling in this moment what do you think is going on for the child that's building competency because None of us operate in this start and stop frame mode, but when parents see that their child is kind of doing the same thing over and over again and it's captured in a video moment, we've had parents say, I never knew that that's what she was asking for. So, and they discover it because they see it on the video. An example, I was playing with my, my little nephew, not even two, and he was into hitting, and his parents were trying to get him to stop hitting. They weren't, you know, they weren't, they were little hits. So is that an example? Like you ask the parent then, why is that happening? What, to help them explore it, expand the notion? Is that what's going on when you have something like that? Yeah, I think, um, I think what I'm hearing is some Lily, really great. Lengua, I should say. <laughs> hearing really some great examples of a whole range of ways parents can access um, what should be relatively um, focused information. I mean, I think when we think we're, tra- we're letting parents know what does it mean to be a good or an effective or a positive parent, I think the messages can be pretty basic, that it takes being a warm, loving, nurturing parent. Um, It takes being responsive and trying to recognize what your child's cues are for their needs and their emotions, and it takes being consistent. And those all have really deeper meanings that I'm alluding to here, and there's over 50 years of research that says those three, I don't want to call them simple because we all know they're hard, but those three very core and basic things, being loving, consistent and responsive really makes a difference in children's lives. I guess I'd like to add that, um, you know, we've talked about different models like home visiting and um, play and learn groups. And um, Marcy, I think you're the one who said that um, not everyone benefits from home visiting. And I think what's really useful to think about is that when families have relatively intact personal resources, when a parent doesn't have too many challenges or hitches in their life, They could probably absorb a lot of parenting information from groups, from light touch kinds of things, from Mm -hmm. play and learn groups. They can bring themselves there and make use of them. Um, When there are more hitches, more challenges, more barriers in their life, they might need someone to come to their home. And then beyond that, there may be so many barriers that it takes a lot more wraparound support, like Marcy mentioned. So I think it's also really important to think about these, like, the different ways to get to families and reach them where they're at and um, and how strong or, or how um, powerful that support needs to be. But I think the constant message that it doesn't take much more than being loving, responsive, and consistent and just reinforcing when they're already doing that, that's, I think, a really powerful thing for parents to hear. It doesn't take a lot. They don't have to be um, brilliant. They don't have to be... We don't have to read all the parenting books to know how to love our kids. We have it inside us. The wisdom and the ability is inside most of us. My model is if there was one right way, there would be only one book. Right. And we're (laughs) inundated by parenting books. So there must not be just one right way. Or one kind of person. Right. Right. Absolutely. And I think it's just finding the strength in each person to to know um, what's going to work best for the family and the context in which they are sitting. So the Crosscut article talks about the, that uh, to reach a parent who's uh, picking up a child at daycare, 
busy parent, you might have six minutes to, uh, to talk to a parent. That seems like in six minutes you could impart very little information. But can you impart uh, enough? I mean, to, can you impart that notion, loving, supportive, concerned, in six minutes, if you're doing it each week, I suppose? Lily Langwine, is that, is that a real problem and a real way to get to it? I don't know that that's a real way to get to it, but it's a, it sounds like a golden opportunity to catch a family doing something really beautiful mm-hmm. with their child or model mm-hmm. it for them. Or when you catch a mom who's arriving super stressed out and really not able to respond to those little bumps or taps the child's giving her and she's saying, stop hitting, you might be able to step in and help model for that mom and use an example of finding out what the child's behavior. So maybe six minutes isn't enough to really change a person's life, but it's a great opportunity to like maybe show or model or catch a mom doing something great and reinforce her for doing that. You know, it, it also sounds like um, you must have some criteria then at, with when you're dealing with all the different providers about, oh, this is a family that does need the full wraparound service. Here's a family that might not. I mean, do you, have, do you make those kind of assessments? You know, um, we have different funding requirements for fun, different funding streams require, but different funding um, requires different... Um, Things, but I, I do think that we're beginning to, as a system, start to assess like where where a family is. But we have a lot of work to do in that area. Um, I think Lily um, alluded to how great it would be if we could have that initial assessment um, when you when a child was born. We're not there yet, but we do have criteria for specific models and home visiting. Um, so one model requires that you have to be um, in utero twenty three or twenty six weeks. And so if you're and a first-time mom. So a second-time mom could still use those services. So there are different um, home visiting models that may work for that family. So it's really depending on the model. It depends on the funding and depends on um, really what the par- parents' needs are. What about at open arms? Are there criteria that you go through? Yeah, for our home visiting program, um, <laughs> we like women to enroll with us before 32 weeks. Um, we obviously take people beyond that because if someone comes to us and could really benefit and they're 35 weeks, um, then we will, you know, it's basically on a on a case-by-case basis. But the idea around enrolling women at a certain point in their pregnancy is the ability to Um, to implement the curriculum that we've set up for pregnancy before the baby's born. So while it can be done at 35 weeks, what that would often mean is that the home visitor is spending a lot more time um, at the parent's house. But ideally, it's... um, it's, uh, it's The earlier, the better. Um, And I think Mm -hmm. the, the... It also allows the home visitor and the client to have a longer period of relationship establishment because that is key to um, that is key to retention in home visiting programs. Clients have to feel like they trust and have a connection with their provider. Um, and I also think it benefits the client because there are a lot of things a client may not know in pregnancy that she could be doing now. Or maybe she's, for example, not happy with her doctor and really fearful. Well, how do you change providers, right? Like, is it possible at this point for you to change providers? And a lot of clients don't know that. Um, and so it, it's just, you know, working through those kinds of things or making sure that the parents have car seats because you can't leave the hospital without a car seat. So it's, it's things that stress families often can't think of, and I think that's one of the benefits of, 
of working with home visitors as early as possible. You know, what's inspiring you every week? What story have you heard, Marcy, to start with that, that keeps you coming back every week? You know, when you when you hear stories of families that are um, that are, are really changing the way that they engage with their children or you hear success stories, it's amazing. And I also um, really honor the work that the, the home visitors are doing in the field. I think that that really is inspiring to me because it's not easy to go into a home. It's not easy to um, engage in a way that's meaningful and, and really honoring of people all the time, every day. And so I think that, that I, I, I'm inspired also by the, the people that do the hard work with the families. But I, I just um, feel like there is possibility for us to make real change. Michelle, what inspires you to keep working? Well, what in, I think what most recently has inspired me are um, two things in the last couple of weeks. And one is um, the county, King County, Dow Constantine recently um, introduced his Best Start initiative in which the county is going to um, uh, is going to issue a levy next fall to raise funds um, for the zero to three um, services and programming throughout the county. So that's very exciting because what it what it does is it sends a signal that there are people who recognize starting early is best. Um, and then you know yesterday was um, our president's summit on. Um, early education for children, and he has acknowledged that starting as early as possible um, is important. And so when you have um, politicians, when you have the political will um, behind this, I do believe eventually the funding will follow. And that's what it takes. It takes funding to um, to financially resource these initiatives that we have. So I think um, in Seattle um, and in King County, I mean, in Seattle, we have the preschool initiative, which is, um, you know, going to open up new classrooms for three and four-year-olds next fall. So there's a lot of great stuff happening in our community, and um, that's encouraging. Regarding the, um, the momentum behind all of this is so exciting right now that people are beginning to listen. People are seeing that it works. People are hearing. Politicians are excited. Um, we also have um, just a lot of momentum around the, the research, and the research has been so important that has been emerging. Even at the University of Washington, all the research that's been emerging around the brain science is so exciting, and I think that um, it's just beginning to highlight where we can go and how we can build a system that's strong to support these kids. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'll echo that. I, I've been doing parenting research since grad school. I went to grad school with an interest in understanding the role that parenting plays in protecting kids who are experiencing stressful life experiences, um, including divorce, but also disadvantage and adversity. And um, so the thought that there's a, a, the state of Washington or even the nation might be um, actually putting resources and attention towards parenting throughout ch childhood. I know that the early period is critical. I, I would love to see it happen throughout childhood and in um, school settings as well that um, you know, I think Marcy already said that parents are probably the biggest um, and greatest influence in children's lives. So it's exciting to see that. It's really encouraging. And I really am grateful that you're sp shining a spotlight on this work. You've been doing it a long time. I have. I, I didn't say how long did I? I didn't actually make, give a number, did I? No. <laughs> uh, Lily Lengua, Marcy Miller, Michelle Sarge, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this CrossCut Media program. I'm Steve Scher with Katie Sewell.
support for this program from the Giddens Foundation.